Welcome to From the Bleachers, and this is Nick Palzak and Mickey Favell for Season 2, Episode 3. Uh, we'll talk a little high school football this week, uh, get into a little soccer, a little cross-country swim, so you name it, we're going to go over it. Uh, so Andy, hit the intro. football and all the other sports getting a look at for week two but we're gonna do a quick quick recap of week one so mickey got to see lava play i got to see adirondack play we got to read read a little bit about the beaver river game so mick let's just hit beaver river first because that'll be our shortest one beaver river beats waterville they go to waterville and win mick urker takes opening touchdown 79 yards for opening score then uh, later in the game uh, bush threw a touchdown pass to zach lacombe 17 yards Held Waterville to six, got their home opener against Sequoia this weekend, so a good start for the Beavers. I was actually surprised that the score was as low as it was, 13-6. to six. Beaver River played a lot of high score and high octane offensive type of games last year, so when I saw that score uh, on Saturday morning, kind of surprised me a little bit. Coach Leindecker and the Beavers went in with a little, little defense. Uh, big game from uh, the Urkers, which... Uh, Coach Leindecker talked about that in his preseason uh, preview that those two would have to step up. And then, you know, you got Bushback, who's an experienced quarterback. Beavers get Sequoia for their home opener this weekend. Uh, so it should be uh, interesting for the Beavers to, you know, host the Sequoia team that two years ago actually got to the sectional finals. They were a little down last year. I think they're maybe trending on the way up, so it'll be a good test for Decker and the Beavers on Saturday afternoon, 2 p.m. So just looking at the stats, um, Bush had 88 yards in the air, and Urker had 69 yards on the ground, and then Edek had 12 tackles. So the defense was strong for Beaver River as they go to 1-0 and try to defend their title. Um, so I'll go to the Adirondack game. So Adirondack played Saturday. They went down to Clinton for their opening game, and disappointing game, I would say, for the Cats. Mick, if you're going to circle a game, the Cats, you know, looking to win. Clinton, to start the season, is one you, you wanted to get. It was 7-6 to six going into the half, we thought. A couple penalties put Adirondack back deep. They had to punt the ball away, and Clinton got the ball on, their, on the Adirondack 48-yard line. And then they had a couple plays. Um, last play of the half, the ball's in the end zone. Alex Gaylord tips it. It goes up. Beaver River kid, or excuse me, the uh, Clinton kid catches it. The, the extra point is good. All of a sudden it's 14 6. And then Beaver River, or Beaver River, got them out of mind. Then uh, Clinton comes out in the second and the third quarter and scores a couple touchdowns, and the Cats were, you know, done for the day. Um, Lance Allen looked good for the Cats out of the quarterback spot. It had about 80 yards rushing and passing. The Cats tried to throw a ball a little bit more as they attempted 15 passes on the day. Alex Gaylord caught a touchdown pass for the Cats. Um, this week against Westmo, Mick, I hate to say it's a must win, but it's a must win. Little Falls, Lowellville, Hound Patton, your next three games. 
Um, you got to get this win just to get your season back on track. Yeah, certainly the game with Clinton, kind of a game that featured two programs that are trying to get on the rise a little bit, trying to maybe install, instill a little bit new culture. I know the Cats came out. They were really sky high, thought you know they'd go down and play a really good game against Clinton. Clinton, uh, on the flip side of that, they thought the same thing as well. Clinton coming in with a new coaching staff, they felt like that they could come in and you know do the same exact thing, get their culture on the rise. And Clinton was able to do that with an opening week win. But I, got, I have to agree with you, Nick. Uh, the Cats traveled to West Berlin on Saturday. West Berlin with a win over JD in the opening week of the year in dramatic fashion. I know that... Double OT. Double overtime. Coach Gates has got that infusion of a, risk, of a few Ariskany kids coming in. So they're feeling a little bit better about themselves than they did last year, even though they're bumping up the C. So it's a big game for Coach Hennessy and the Cats. You know, going down there, hopefully they can correct some things, play a little bit more competitive game, and, and get a big win on the road before their whole home opener next week. So, brand new information, hot off the presses. This is uh, Wednesday, so an hour ago I talked Inside to... Inside Sources. Inside Scoop. Uh, I talked to my source, and the word is the, the Friday night home opener against Little Falls is on. The problem is finding officials. There's so many games, that game wasn't scheduled... Uh, people are they're having trouble finding officials. So the plan is right now, Mick, that if they don't play Friday, they'll play Thursday night here as a home opener to try to get uh, under the lights. The problem is the high school has their open house that night, so there's going to have All to be some schedule changing because everybody in the high school is going to go want to go watch that game. It might even be a good idea. You have open house from 5 to 6.30. Everybody flows out right onto the football field. And the plan would be from a very reliable source high up uh-huh. in the rankings that the boys' soccer would play a game there Wednesday afternoon, the girls' soccer would play Thursday at 4, and then you'd follow up with a football game at 7, um, trying to get everybody on the field right away, um, test the field out a little bit, the problem is, can you get officials? Is the scoreboard going to be working? The bathrooms aren't complete yet. Um, I heard some grumblings from some uh, fans from out of town. We were outside. At, <laughs> like five minutes ago. Yeah, five <laughs> minutes ago. People complained the bathrooms aren't open. There's construction going on, so the bathrooms aren't open. There was an outhouse around the corner, but people didn't want to use that. So that's the plan is next week you should be, the cat should be under the light. So exciting stuff. You'd love to be coming in on a win, being one and one, face Little Falls, who uh, lost their first game, and see what happens there. So that's kind of the update for Adirondack. Mick was up at the Lowville game Friday night, and probably totally different feel on the Lowville side of things. Yeah, before I talk about that, might have to talk to Nisnik about a Friday day off to all this oh, pomp awesome. and circumstance on Thursday night. Big parade. Yeah, I think maybe Friday day off. So if uh, Mr. Nisnik's listening, you know, we're just kind of throwing that out there, help you out, make a decision. Uh, yeah, I went up to Lowville on Friday night. They faced Jordan Elbridge, a Jordan Elbridge team that actually entered the game. And they, you know, seem to think that they have postseason hopes as well as they're an up and coming program. Actually, another program that installed turf not too long ago. And Lowville just flat out dominated, opened up a 42 to nothing lead at the half. And just uh, just cruised to a 50-8 to eight win. They got touchdowns from five different players. Michael Hamburg ran in a pair of scores. Uh, Aiden McCauley ran a punt back for a touchdown. So uh, things were actually, Gavin, I believe, uh, 
ran in the punt for a touchdown. Aiden McCauley played a little quarterback later in the game. Chad Box scored. So Laval got their cast of characters into the offense. They looked real good. They are so, you know, and we kind of talked about that, talked about this to it, you know, with a couple people in school over the course uh, after the weekend. <laughs> you know, the thing with the Laval football team, Nick, is they have so many of those kids who played basketball who've been in the fire now. They've played a state championship game on the basketball floor. Got it. You know, they're just coming out and they are playing with so much confidence on the football field. You know, hate to use the cliche, but it's almost like they are. They were men amongst boys the other night. They have played or been in so many game situations, regardless of the sport, that they are just, you know, operating on all cylinders from a competitive standpoint. And you could definitely see that on Friday night. Very impressive. I know, you know, the jury's probably still out on Jordan Elbridge. Not really sure how good they are, but, you know, I was looking through Syracuse.com, and they actually wrote an article where they're talking about Class C with 17 teams, you know, competitively. They're, some people are already commenting that it's actually three teams. So you're throwing Lauville in there, Nick. You're throwing Canastota in there, and you're throwing Skinny Atlas in there who went to Holland Patton and won on opening week. So some people already got it penciled in. This is a three-team race. Um. Coach Hennessy said he saw the Skinny Atlas Holland Patton game a little bit, and he said Skinny Atlas was unreal. Nick Womp, we talked about last week, he's going to Colgate. I didn't know he was, he was going off to Colgate next year. And Rob said he's just on a different level athletically than everybody else. And last week when we did our preview, we even mentioned McCulley's in the preview for the Lavo game. So, you know, just, you know, it's not an afterthought, but just two more athletes out on the field. And like you said, not only big game experience, but they're just strong, tough kids who've worked out and prepared physically to be in these situations. And Laval starts out strong. Just on a little side note, uh, Laval plays General Brown. General Brown got pounded by Canastota. And we talked about Canastota as a team to look out for, 56-20. to 20. And I think Canastota is going to be one of those teams that's scary. But you, I don't think Holland Patton's a team someone's going to want to face in a semifinal or a quarterfinal game, I mean. I mean, semifinals are going to be good. Cato uh, Marina, I think, is a team that people haven't talked about who's going to be good. But imagine you're the two seed and you've got to go play a Holland Patton team. Uh, I, it's going to be a, the C playoffs are going to be a load. Yeah, I would still pencil in probably Holland Patton as the second best team in our in our division right now. I'm thinking Lowellville and then Holland Patton. So I'm thinking down the road, Holland Patton definitely a playoff team. And you're right about that, Nick, because you're probably looking at them you're probably figuring on them being a four or five or six seed because the two wildcard teams will be seven and eights. So those teams will be third place teams in their division. So definitely Holland Patton lining up, you know, if they, if, you know, right now on paper, I'd give Lavo the advantage would put, you know, Holland Patton as a four or five seed. But, uh, you know, just a kind of a little side note to Lowville General Brown got a sneaky suspicion that's not going to be uh, a Lowville General Brown game from the last few years. From what I've read from the people I've talked to, you know, this is a General Brown team that is definitely 100% in a, rebuild, in a rebuild mode. They probably haven't had to do that up there in Dexter in X amount of years. So usually General Brown's in reload mode. It kind of looks like that they are in rebuild mode and maybe a serious rebuild mode, like a really young squad rebuild mode. So Lavo going up there on Friday, you know, that might take the luster off of that rivalry a little bit, but, you know, Lavo's got to turn around and go to Holland Patton the following week, Nick. And I would assume that no one's going to take it easy on General Brown. They've been the 
top dog yeah, for the last, last 10, 20 years. So I think if people get a chance, it might be your time to get back at General Brown. So Cats go down to Westmoreland. Beaver River is going to host Sequoit. And Lyleville is going to go to General Brown. South Lewis, 21st they play. So we've got a couple weeks yet for uh, the South Lewis football team. So that's a quick wrap-up on football. But we got all sorts of sports stars. So we got boys and girls soccer in full effect. We got swim for the girls. And we have uh, cross country for girls and boys. So uh, we were just out there watching the cross country meet mix. So give us a little update on, you know, I think – your son went up and ran a Beaver River uh, last week, so yeah. a little recap. Of yeah, cross-country. Actually, CSC schedule started today, Nick, so Adirondack hosted their, their one home meet. They actually just got done running a few minutes ago. Adirondack, Remsen, uh, West Canada, amongst some teams. Ariscany. that were there. So uh, just a little kind of four-team, five-team meet. That's what the CSD, CSC does, so... Uh, Center State Conference, they run every Wednesday, uh, so they ran today. I'm not really sure what the times would be. Usually that gets recorded uh, the, the previous day or the, the, the day following on the CSC track site. Uh, a lot of local teams went to VVS last weekend. Uh, South Lewis girls did really well, finished second in their race. Uh, Eifeld and uh, Coach Bernard's two daughters finished in the top five in that race. Uh, my son Ty finished third in the in a in the fourth race at VVS. Uh, Beaver River going one two in that race, uh, which was a pretty fast race, pretty quality race. Uh, so the invitational season starting to get fired up uh, currently. So Adirondack will be off to New Hartford this week, and they'll be hosting, or I'm sorry, they'll be running their Wednesday meets, uh, CSE meets from week to week. So that's. Uh, pretty much, you know, a quick wrap on cross country as we get more in, into the invitational season. We'll have a little bit more on that, Nick. And then uh, our girls swim program is underway. They had a match last week against RFA. I believe it was 93-83. Um, the Lowellville girls faced South Lewis. Now Lowellville won 95-90. So Lowellville girls are now 2-0. And uh, TI beat the Beaver River girls. It was 49-45. So Beaver River's 1-1. And just a little side note for Adirondack fans, after the season, I think in the spring, the, our pool is going to get gutted and they're going to do a brand new pool. So I was talking to some of my other inside sources about what's going to happen in the next phase, phase, two. phase two of the building project. And one of it is to gut the pool. And I make a, the pool is original, right? All that stuff in there that is, is original. Yes, yes. The bleachers Except the bleachers. So yeah, yes. So the pool, that's 50 years you're talking. That needs an update. And it's uh, it'll be good to see. So... If you're complaining about construction outside, wait till they're gutting the pool, and they'll be doing all sorts of stuff inside the school here. So that's just a quick little recap of our uh, swim team. As far as um, soccer, the Lowville girls are 2-0. Um, they beat Sequoia the other day 3-0. Hannah Freeman, two goals. Sydney Brown, one goal. And the South Lewis girls 0-2, and, and the Beaver River girls 3-0. They faced each other the other day. And the Beaver River girls won 4-0. Emma Rogi had a goal and two assists. And then on the boys' side, uh, the South Lewis boys' team, they lost to General Brown the other day, 1-0. So the Laval team is 2-1 and 1-1. and Our girl, The Adirondack girls are out here right now playing Dowdgeville. They were down 2-0 at half. They beat Herkimer 6-0 the other day. And then they lost to Holland Patton. I believe it was 5 or 6-0 last week. I think Holland Patton's probably the class of our 
our league. So yeah, and and Adirondack girls actually kind of a tough schedule to open up with because uh, Holland Patton they're probably they're definitely a favorite in. Uh, section three wouldn't be surprised if they won C again and got back to the state tournament. Wouldn't be back. Wouldn't be surprised if they got back to the final four. So Cats struggled against them in their opening game, uh, and like you said, got a win against Herkimer the other night, and then we're playing Dodgeville tonight. Cats right now they do have a lot of injury issues. Uh, a couple girls walking around school uh, with some injury issues. So I know that uh, they've had to go down and kind of get a couple players from JV. So. Right now, the injury bug kind of hitting them pretty hard. Kind of early for that to happen, too, Nick. You don't want that to happen this early in the season. And then with the Cats boys team, new coaches, Delaney Doherty and Max Doherty. Um, Max Doherty played soccer two, three years ago. Yeah, just two years ago. Just two years ago. And Delaney Doherty, she's, uh, she works at the school up here. She got a job last year. She graduated maybe a year, year, a year ago. A year or two years ago now. Yeah. So two young people uh, coaching. I believe they lost their first two. Yeah, they lost to West Berlin, 5-1 to one in their opener, and then they lost to Sherburne Irville 7-3 to, seven to three last night. Game was actually 2-2 two, two with 20 minutes left, and then the Adirondack defense had some problems uh, late in the game, so Sherburne able to, to capitalize that. So Cats are 0-2 overall, 0-1 in conference play. They do. They have another non-conference game or a CSC crossover tomorrow at home with Mount Markham at 4-30. And then next Wednesday, they should be on the turf, probably the first event on the turf. I would assume they're going to be practicing on there very shortly. I'm not, there's, I think there's a couple things they got to button up out on the, uh, the turf. I know they got to get the bathrooms fixed. Uh, I guess they put a new stove and the concession stand is going to be kind of updated. I'm not sure if they're updating the bathroom facilities as well. But again, when you come up here and see the facilities, it's unbelievable. Um, and then if you look at the light poles, there's lights on the bottom of the lights that shine upwards, and I didn't know what they were, and I was told those take the glare away. So there's not going to be this huge presence of light up above the lights, and they're gonna, all the light is trying to be focused down. I guess Holland Patton has it, and Coach Hennessy said the Holland Patton lighting was spectacular, and they got like a blue tracker on. I wonder if we'll do a green track when we do the Gray track, I guess. Talked right? to a lot of people in the community over the weekend, Nick, and a lot of people have filtered up here just to kind of take a look around and, you know, the, the response has been pretty overwhelming, positive. A lot of people really excited, you know, so that's good to see in the, in the neighborhood. So the anticipation of next week, hopefully everybody gets on there and we kind of get things rolling and kind of move this thing forward. And it's good, Nick, because we really didn't, when we had these conversations in the spring, we didn't really know it was possibly like, you know, there was a possibility it was like October 1st. We heard maybe middle of October. So... You know, looking at my watch right now, I mean, if we can get on, like, September 18th, that'd be awesome, probably about two weeks before people actually, you know, the, real, the, the, the reality of a date. You know, a lot of people said September 1st, but that was kind of, you know, really hard to imagine. But, you know, September 18th, 19th, that'd be awesome. And it is going to be a struggle now because if almost everybody's playing Friday night, it's going to be hard to find officials. Yeah, it's scheduled, yeah. And if the game wasn't scheduled... Um, guys might be on vacation or working or they can't get out of whatever they're doing to uh, to get to that game. So uh, my source, athletic director, she said she's working trying to get officials Friday, but she's not sure if that can happen. So she said Thursday, Little Falls will come and play Thursday, and that would be kind of cool. I don't know if we can do it on the radio or not. Uh, we'll have to see. I'm going to talk to Mr. Flack tomorrow and see about um, – 
what the radio would be. But this weekend, the Beaver River game will be on the radio, WBRV. And then the next week, we're supposed to do the Lavo, Helm Patton, and the Adirondack game. But if they're both the same night, we're going to have to figure out uh, something to do. So that's kind of a recap of our local sports. One thing I wanted to mention, Mick, you know, just uh, thinking today. So September 11th, and I mentioned in class today, I talked a little bit about just our experience that day. I'll never forget that day you came to my room and told me a plane hit the World Trade Center, and I thought it was like a, a commuter plane. Yeah, we thought plane, it was a commuter plane. Patty Hennessy told me, yeah. actually. So we weren't sure. But to connect to the sports, and I told the kids today, George Bush on the uh, pitcher's mound at Yankee Stadium, it had to be, what, a month later? Maybe yeah, a little maybe bit, a less, little bit less than that. Like end of September, him throwing a first pitch strike down the middle, putting a thumbs up. I told the kids today, it still puts chills down my spine just thinking about that. And I, I explained to the kids, to me, how much different, just, I don't want to be political, our country feels. For months and maybe years after that event, we were people were flying their flags, things were, everybody was, you know, what can we do to support our country? And today, we seem 100% opposite. If you watch one channel, they hate the other. If you watch the other channel, they hate the other. And both channels are wrong, according to each other. And just seems, you know, I told the kids, I see a lot of things online, never forget. And it seems we've kind of forgotten the lessons that 9-11 we thought taught us 18 years later, that we don't seem very unified right now for whatever reasons that is. And I don't really want to get into any of that kind of stuff. It's just the feel we had for a couple of years after 9-11 I remember I went to SU football game. It was like one of the first events. Yeah, we went to SU, SU football game. Went, uh, I think they played Auburn. They played Auburn. And it was, I think that? it might have been one of the first games after 9-11. It was like scary yeah, going into the dome. It was. You, were, you weren't sure. You are were inside. They had flags on the, everybody's seats. And, you know, I was, I was trying to explain the feel to my students today. I know I teach science, but we figured we should talk about it a little bit and just – I have that memory of George Bush throwing that strike. It was like, holy smokes. And then the Yankees are in the World Series, and what a great, you know, they didn't win it, but what a great World Series run it was into November. But just the feeling we had then, you know, I don't get that feeling, you know, today. Yeah, in class today, we actually, and I've done this for a few years now because U.S. history, we do actually, we take a lot of time to talk about 9-11. So ESPN did a mini-doc I think in eleven, actually it was it was eleven. It was the ten. It was the ten year anniversary, and they show a mini. They showed a. They made a mini doc called "The Man in the Red Bandana." It tells a story about former Boston College graduate who went and worked in finance. Actually had a job in one of the towers, and just talks about how after the planes flew in the buildings, he actually saved twelve people, and the in the documentary is very well done but I actually told the class and you may have forgotten about this we were actually in we were in the Meadowlands on 9-9 we were actually in the Meadowlands on Sunday before 9-11 that stretch of three days like the Sunday Monday Tuesday very hot weather I remember just remember actually being in the Meadowlands that day there was a couple Colts right Jets Colts a couple guys who went with us had never been to the Meadowlands before and if you have gone to the Meadowlands and you stand on the concourse facing east, you can look down Manhattan Island, you can see all the buildings. So I remember being out there and actually a couple of the guys that, like I said, who went with us had never been there. So you could go down, right down Chrysler Building, uh, Empire State Building, and then Twin Towers. So I remember 9-9, plain as day, just 
walking those guys down through the buildings on uh, the on Manhattan Island, and then two days later, just you know the craziness. But yeah, those that event definitely galvanized the country. So you know, at least for a day around here, kind of turned the focus to something else. But yeah, some of the sporting events after, and you know, we you know, I, we didn't really mention this, but. You know, if you think about it, we went to that football game on 9-9, Nick. The security was extremely loose that day. I mean, you literally could walk into a football stadium. Uh, you know, like we walked into Jets-Colts, and it's like they, there was no one, no nothing. You just walk in. They just kind of give you the semi-pat down, and you were in. And then I remember we went to the Dome. It was must have been two weeks later. I don't think they played the following Saturday. They didn't play the following Saturday. They played the Saturday after which would have been probably like 923, right. like somewhere yep. around there. Like, And they played Auburn. And it, if you remember, Nick, it took forever to get in the Dome. They, The security in the Dome that night, like they were patting everybody down and the wands were out. I remember that plain as day. So, you know, we had that conversation. We had a conversation in class and really talked about if, if you, you know, we talked about people in class flying and how it was different pre 9 9-11, you could fly, you could just walk through security for the most part, but then obviously, you know, that's the biggest change. But if you if you regularly go to sporting events, you know, the pre-9-11 world, can, you know, compared to the post-9-11 world, I mean, definitely two different worlds. Oh, you were sneaking stuff in your coat easily yeah, was, for yeah, before those days, yeah. and now it's... It's harder to do these days yeah. if you want to sneak stuff in. I mean, people, I mean, you know, adult conversation. I mean, people walking in on 9-9 into the Jets game, people would bring alcohol right. in. I mean, they would be sneaking alcohol into the sporting event. But not like in their, event. in their coat pocket. Not right. Like. I mean, and, and basically, you know, the security people, you know, would just kind of wave you in. It wasn't really that big of a deal. And then, you know, since then, you know, you go to any sporting event and it's – you know, you're you're talking about metal detectors. You know, I went to Boston last spring, watched Celtics play. I mean, it's, you know, you're talking about a process now to get into a stadium, you know, much like flying that didn't exist in the pre-9-11 world. But it's always, you know, it's always one of those days where you get really, you know, it's one of those days. It was a crazy day. You know, it was a crazy day, the, you know, 9-11-2001. And, you know, I, I'm like you, Nick. I try to talk about it in class and try to kind of keep that legacy alive. A lot of people did a lot of amazing things that day. And the, the kids in our class that weren't born? Well, they weren't born. It's really born. hard it's to... It's crazy. It's really... You know, and the interesting thing is today, like I found, probably more than any other 9-11 day is uh, my classes all day long asked a lot of questions. We spent a lot of times, they had a lot of questions. And if you think about it, that's it is new history to them, and they probably haven't really... This is probably at the age where they're kind of engaged in that sort of stuff, like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, not really engaged. And now I had a really engaged audience today, actually had some really interesting conversations, you know, so it was good to see that the kids were, you know, kind of, they were interested in it. But, yeah, I got more participation today than, I, than I've had in a lot of years. And their memory now is the Freedom Tower and the pools down right, there. And that right, is, right, It's just totally, totally different. I mean, it took a long time to get there, but all the kids now – they won't remember, you know, what it looked like during construction and all those years after. I, tr I told them, I didn't go down for a couple of years, and I went down and saw construction. I went to a McDonald's around the corner. They still had a case up where it was full of dust, and they just showed it like it was that day. I mean, all that stuff is gone now. It's, it's, it's I mean, it is 18 years. It's a pretty long time, but 
I just, it's a, uh, I just told, there were, actually many kids haven't been down there, so just imagine being in that neighborhood, all those buildings up, and what, what the chaos must have been like. I became a little bit more uplifted, though, when the Yankees lost the World Series a couple, you know, like in November, so that kind of uplifted me a little bit. I hate to, you know, Mario pray on that. <laughs> Mario Rivera, everybody, everybody loves Mariano, but he, six, uh, six game, he threw the ball away, they would could have won. And that would have, it was supposed to be storybook. It was supposed to be Jeter's yeah, home exactly. run, Rocha's home run. It was storybook. Yeah, New York. But then yeah. it, was, it was. Hey, it's not fixed. It's, no. not, it's not fixed. That's a good thing. And was it was the Piazza couldn't. who hit the home run, like the first night back yeah. in Met Stadium. Yeah. So it was. Yep. I mean, I just. And I told the kids, say, politically, and maybe I'm not the biggest George Bush fan, but I said that day, that guy was my guy. He was my president, my leader, and I was so proud that he was out there with his thumbs up, you know. The, and, and it changed my whole perspective of yeah. George Bush and, how, and what it was like. Yeah, and the baseball games after, the baseball games the first couple nights after were actually really cool. There was a lot of really cool – there were a lot of really cool moments, you know, in the games preceding 9-11 when they started playing again. Those were some really cool moments, especially in New York. They were – you know, fans were all fired up, got behind teams, and it was, you know, uh, you know, I, as tragic as the situation was, from a sports standpoint, as a sports fan, in the weeks after, there were a lot of pretty cool things that happened. And it was nothing. It was, I've in my forty-seven years, nothing more. Or I never felt more patriotic, or just the atmosphere around me with people. Flags were flying, wearing pins. There was nothing more. It never felt more patriotic. And it wasn't patriotic like we hate. It was patriotic. Let's lift our country up and help each other out and rebuild because we've had people, you know, suffering and we are, we're going to yeah. take care of our own. And, and that's what George Bush felt like to me. Hey, I'm taking care of you. I'm here. I'm not scared. Come out to New York City. Because for a while, I mean, I was scared to fly. You know, I didn't really want to go to New York City. The first time I went back, it was it was really strange for me. Every you're looking around every corner, you're every sound, you're wondering what's going on. Now I go to New York and it's just old hat again because it's been, you know, so long. I mean, you go to New York now, you go to Grand Central Station. There's guys with machine guns all over the place. It is a different city. You go to Times Square and there's heavy artillery all over the place. So the world has changed, but it was. I just tried to give a sense to our kids what a different feel it was around that time and how so I told the kids there was internet but I don't think we had in the classroom nobody had smartphones we could maybe text I had cable in my classroom one of the few rooms that had cable yeah there so, was not I talked we talked about that in class Nick because somebody actually uh, a student actually asked me he said did you watch it in your class and I said we couldn't we didn't have cable. you came down to my room I remember yeah we couldn't we didn't have cable watched, in every single classroom we were at the point where they were on CNN and the plane hit the Pentagon. And the, they were talking to someone in Washington. They're like, something happened. And you're a panic. You don't know what's going on. And we didn't leave school. I know a lot of schools closed. We stayed in school. We came the next day. Kids asked if there was a lockdown today. They were asking. There was if no there was lockdown. Lockdowns. There was no nothing. Like, uh, but I know yeah, yeah, like I tried to point out to the kids today, like, when you receive, you know, your capability of receiving the news. So when somebody asked me, did you watch in class? Like, no, we, you know, like I told them today, obviously, everybody's phones had buzzed today. Like, if it happened today, like, you'd know instantaneously, which, you know, gone. that kind of, it makes it interesting when you're, you know, when you've spent your whole, you know, occupational career in this place, you have a lot of things happen in the outside world, and sometimes, 
you know, especially during that time period, you felt really ice. You know, there were times when you're at school and you feel really isolated from the outside world. It's, you know, be, it, before phones, before yep. phones, obviously, before. And it, that was one of those days. It was one of those days, you know, not to go way back in time, but, you know, Carl Trainer was talking once about when Kennedy got assassinated in 63 and how they didn't really find out until they got home. Right. You know, and you don't really think about that, like in all the technology that we have today. So it was really interesting fielding questions from students today. Uh, but, uh, yeah, another 9-11 in the books. And, you know, I would imagine in, you know, next few days, I imagine maybe this weekend too, like the NFL will recognize maybe some of that stuff. And moving forward something like happened today we'd be in a lockdown and we'd be out of the building we'd be evacuated yeah, immediately I, I would say i would think so that would i would think so totally uh yeah different and then maybe yeah. maybe in two years or at the 25th anniversary you know it'll be a big deal but it's hard to you know relive it over and over and over again it just it's like for people who really affected and had family members die it's just you're ripping a band-aid off every year and at some point you know that the ESPN 30 for 30 about the World Series is it's really, really good. Cool. Yeah. They did a 9/11 special. It had to be, was it the 10-year anniversary or maybe 15-year anniversary? I watched that and I could barely make it through. It was just, you know, so hard to watch. Yeah, sure. yeah. But it's uh, so I the the analogy I gave to my to my students was my dad was around. He was in his teens for Pearl Harbor. So, but Pearl Harbor, you didn't find out maybe over the radio and in yeah. the papers a couple of days. But he kind of lived through that experience of being alive for Pearl Harbor. And for me, Pearl Harbor, it feels like a movie almost. You watch Torah, Torah, Torah when you were in high school. You watch old films, and it doesn't really feel kind of real. And but then this event, you know, feels really real to you because you got to go to New York City and see smoke smoldering still when you were down there. And our students won't, you know, probably maybe luckily won't have that. You know, real feeling. It's all on video, and it's all not a real feeling. So that was kind of I, the analogy I gave them. And I was, I told my kids, I was up in one of the towers as a little kid. I remember walking up the stairs and going outside, and we stood on top outside. I'm afraid of heights. I didn't like it up there, but we went up. And I thought it was maybe a wrong memory. When my dad told me we went up there, and it was, uh, I got to go to the Freedom Tower, I think it was a year ago, or maybe a little bit more than a year ago. And... It's a cool place. You got to go down. I was not looking forward to going up, and after I went up, it was awesome to go up, and I will, I'll do it again. I went to Empire State Building. If you have a choice between all the two, Freedom, Freedom Tower, Tower trumps it, the Empire State Building. Long lines. You're looking through a fence. It was so crowded. I, I would never, I'm not going there again. Freedom Tower, we'll do again. That was a lot of fun. It felt like I was in a movie. You, you sat down. You had restaurants. It was it was made for viewing. Empire State Building is not, not so much not yeah. made for viewing. So I just thought we had to bring 9/11 up today. Is you know, like I said, I see a lot of never forget things all over the internet. But you know, maybe we need to remember a little bit. It's going to be a. I think Mick, you know, you're a history teacher. I think over the next year, year and a half, to the election next year, it's going to get pretty nasty. Yeah. And maybe we need to remember how we all felt. Six months after 9-11, a year after 9-11, you know, that first anniversary, and how we were, Republicans and Democrats were looking at things much differently than they do now. And I think we need to keep those lessons alive that I think a lot of people forgotten. We're so, I don't know, just so nasty these days. Everywhere. I'm not going to pick one side or the other. I'm just saying it's everybody's pointing fingers, everybody. And George Bush was my guy. 
and still is my guy. I <laughs> love that guy. I don't buy his paintings, though, but, you know, I look at him differently after all that happened. So, all right, Mick, this weekend, we both screwed up. We bought tickets to the SU football game because we're nervous. They're going to beat Maryland, and ticket prices are going to be $200. We got to get our tickets now. I was deathly afraid. We bought them before the season started, like a week before, and now here we are. We could have got them for probably half price, and... I don't know if there's a bigger, I don't know, a team with all this hype. I don't know if you could lay a bigger egg than what you did. If you lost on a last-second field goal, they just got annihilated. And maybe Maryland's really good. Maybe Maryland's a top-20 team. But what happened last week takes a lot of – I was so excited about this season, and I'm still excited about the game Saturday, but it took a lot of steam out of, you know – I'm not as hyped as I would be if there's two two and old teams going into the dome Saturday night. Yeah, I'm not as fired up, especially with the hundred and five dollar tickets yeah. that I bought. That's the so in the whole scheme of things, just going back in July, so you could buy Syracuse season tickets for one twenty five. So I didn't want to do that. Figured, all right, not going to be able to go to a ton of games anyway with cross country and school stuff going on. So. So we talked about it and said, all right, we'll go to Clemson. So kind of checked out the prices on StubHub and Clemson. Ticketmaster started checking out prices. So Syracuse wins opening week. Clemson, Clemson obviously wins. So Nick and I, you and I sat down and we're figuring, all right, it's goal time. If we're going to buy tickets, we got to go. We got to buy tickets. The market was starting to crawl a little bit. So we got in. Felt I feel pretty good about my $105 tickets when I bought them. Felt good about it. <laughs> Sitting upstairs, got a good view. Getting fired up about the game, and then, yeah, you're right, the Syracuse-Maryland game, uh, not on the radar, didn't expect them to play that bad, and just got trounced. I guess, you know, the defense, you know, the defense got shredded, but some of that having to do with offense, uh, a couple turnovers here and there, so, yeah, we don't have one and one, we don't have a 2-0 and Syracuse and Clemson game, got Clemson 2-0, and Syracuse 1-1, and and the other thing, Nick, too, the problem that uh, Syracuse kind of created is game day was probably going to come and do it the was. game game day on ESPN good draw helps your football program so game day was all set to come and then Syracuse gets trounced by Maryland game day basically told the Q's moving vans are going to go to Iowa they're going to go to Iowa State for the Iowa Iowa State game so Syracuse game remains in prime time no game day my tickets are 105 <laughs> Uh, and I'm still going to the game. Still pretty excited about it, though, because Clemson rolling in number one, Nick, so it's not too often where you know you get the number one team in the country rolling into the Dome. So from that standpoint, especially in football, basketball happens, especially in football, I guess if you are going to a game, you have to go to it. You can't sit out the number one team in the country in the Dome. And Syracuse is, good, I think, still a pretty good football team, so it could it could be a game. Um yeah, and, and I, I'm anticipating the game. Syracuse, I think. I think, still has a chance to be a top 25 team. Um, I don't know, even if they don't win, but they just make it competitive and they, you know, it's a game in the fourth quarter, I think that'll help, you know, their program. But, uh, and then going through after that, you know, you're, I mean, Dino, he went from week one, all sorts of rumors, everybody wants him. You know, people are talking already about him going South Carolina to different schools and, one week, and you get pounded by Maryland, all of a sudden, maybe that'll be good for Syracuse that he's off everybody's radar. But I, I still trust in Dino, and I think they'll bounce back. 
I remember going to the Dome and Syracuse is supposed to be good. They lose to NC State. I remember going to the Dome. Syracuse is supposed to be good. They lose to Oklahoma. I don't know. It just seems Syracuse football, we had the one perfect season and everything fell into place. It would have to be a perfect season this year to, to go to that step we wanted to. But if they, if they lose in Maryland, they beat Clemson. That erases the Yeah, that would erase it. I think the biggest thing with the Maryland game is I, just how they got handled in the first half. Like, it's not even the game at the end of the first half, and I think that's what was so surprising. You know, Maryland came out and played Howard the first week of the year. They threw 70-plus up. But I didn't, you know, to be honest with you, I, I didn't really – I didn't really read that much into that. I really thought Syracuse would go down there. I didn't think they'd blow them out, but I thought it'd be, you know, along the lines, 35-21, somewhere around there. I didn't really expect them to lose. Maryland, you know, the problematic thing about Maryland is that they, just two years ago, they were in disarray. You know, you know, they had that player pass away in the workout. They were in disarray. It's hard to get a coaching staff in there. So I, I just kind of felt like, you know, maybe that whole disarray thing still kind of up and running. So I think, for me personally, that kind of added to the loss. It's like, man, how do you lose these guys? Like, you know, with you know, it's not like their program has been. You know, they're trying to get their program back on their feet, and I was kind of under the assumption that they really hadn't gotten there yet. So that's why the loss to me was really disappointing. And then just like the fashion, I actually, I Ty, Ty had a cross country meet in VVS, so I actually you know, recorded it and was going to come home and watch it. And then her, I overheard a couple of people and then it's like, whoa, like yeah. they're down, you know, 35 to seven and it's, whoa. Then finally I got on my phone, checked out the score and saved me some time later in the day. I didn't have to watch it. So <laughs> now maybe DeVito yeah. is not what he's cracked up to be. Maybe it's just his second start as a freshman. It's hard when you compare it to quarterbacks. McNabb, he was a freshman. He was all world. So you're, you you go back and you try to think of quarterbacks who led programs as freshmen, and maybe he just has growing pains going in, but he's going to have to grow up pretty quickly yeah. here because the the men are coming in this yeah, week. Yeah, and the, and, the, and the matchup to watch this week is the Clemson offense on the Syracuse defense because the Clemson offense is, you know, a lot of college football analysts are actually saying that this may be, like, historically one of the better collegiate offices, or offenses in the history of college football. So... You know, that's probably the matchup that they're going to have to try to, you know, how can they slow the Clemson offense down? I think that's the $100,000 question. I think Syracuse fans, you know, obviously before the Maryland game would have felt better about that. Now the question mark is, can they slow them down and can they generate turnovers? That's going to be the biggest thing. But the one thing that we got going for us, Nick, is Syracuse has played Clemson better than probably anybody in the Last country. Three years. Uh, Beat them you two know, years ago, and last year exactly they were up with should have won eight minutes Should've ago, won. Or six minutes ago at Clemson. Yeah, and had a, like a fourth and one, like a third and one, and a fourth and one to convert, and they didn't. So, you know, hopefully, you know, Syracuse has played them tough. I don't think, you know, they'll be intimidated. But you know, with the Maryland game, you got a little bit of that. You can't help but not have a little bit of that creeping in your head a little bit. Now, I get the Sirius XM radio, and I listen to the Big Channel sometime, a Big Ten channel, and they said that Maryland was a sneaky team, and the, the coaches in that league don't. Maryland is that team that's going to trip somebody up on the way to a Big Ten title, and that's the team that scares a lot of people. And, and know, they proved it. it I mean, hard, they got to tip their hat. Howard, so it, and, and I was just 
I was doing the Adirondack football games. I just opened my phone quick to get a quick score. It's 14 nothing. Boom. I'm like, what's going on? Next thing I know, it's 35-7. to I listened to the radio on the way home, and it was just, it wasn't good. So uh, we'll see. This is Coach Babers, if he can rebound and get his game plan against uh, Clemson. He's had Clemson's number the last two years. And let's see if he can uh, do it one more time. You know, one more thing, too, and just kind of, you know, not, not to – you know, getting into the gambling aspect for one second. You know, that line by Saturday, Michael O'Donnell and I were talking about earlier in the week, and I hadn't really checked the line. And, you know, Mike asked me who's favored, and I said, oh, Syracuse is favored. I never really – I didn't really think to check the line. I was thinking that the line was going to be six or seven-ish. I kind of thought Syracuse would be given laying six or seven. And then by Saturday, it was one. I mean, Maryland was actually right. favored by one. And Doesn't that mean that's everybody a sneaky... was betting Syracuse? And there are people trying to get Maryland – they're trying to get people yeah. to get Maryland by – you know, but that, but that, but that, you know, that line was – I was kind of surprised that the line was one. I thought it would, it would have been more. But that, you know, puts – you know, Vegas – you know they they make a lot of ba- they make a lot of money in Vegas for reasons and if the lines won, you know uh, so Vegas actually had Maryland being legit in my own mind I didn't have Maryland being quite as legit I was thinking it would be like a six or seven point line so uh, you know if you're if you're betting college football in the down the casino now uh, you can't bet New York State teams so if you were going to bet that game. Couldn't bet Syracuse anyway, but I think I, the, the line was actually interesting. Getting 24, interesting. 25 24 this a, week. 24, 25 this week, and uh, man, I don't know. I don't know. Like I don't know. Like I'm not sure if I'd. Pl- I don't know if I would. You know, take those points or not. You know, I, the Maryland thing kind of runs you off a little bit, scares you. And Clemson might say, "Hey, we're going to yeah, we're going to yeah." This might be a little bit because Syracuse supposed get yours. to be that team in ACC yeah. that Sick challenges of about them. you guys. And you've given us a little bit of a run, and I could see Coach Swinney saying, "You know what? Um, watch this, and we're going to blow your doors off." So we could look for that. So one more thing, Mick. We probably got about ten minutes to go, so we got to talk Antonio Brown. So he's had. Uh, whirlwind. I just I read your article. So your theory is that this is all his plan, that he wanted to be at the Patriots, and he did everything possible to get to the Patriots. I've watched some people who said that. Some people say it's impossible. There's no way. Now the new update is he might not play this week. He might be on the NFL exemption list. The commissioner can put people on an exempt list for because of allegations of uh, mis- sexual misconduct by him. But, you know, you're thinking – he wanted out of Raiders, and he wanted into Patriotville, and that was the whole plan all along. I think it was the whole plan all along. And then he wanted out. Then you got to go back to last year. Wanted obviously at the end of the year. Wanted out with Pittsburgh, and you know, if you read, he had a personality issue with Roethlisberger at the end. That kind of played into it. Then, obviously, forced his way to Oakland. Now, keep in mind, he wasn't a free agent, so if he wants out of Pittsburgh, he has to, you know, he's going to have to do enough where Pittsburgh's going to have to trade him. Now, New England so, offered, him a, offered a pick for him, I, I, I read somewhere? They may have. I hadn't seen that, but I think they Pittsburgh, I think the Raiders gave up a third, third and a six, and, yeah. or a, third, third a three and a, and a six, or a third yeah. and a five. So it moved him on to Oakland, and then I think he just got to the point where at that point in time, I honestly think it was – I honestly – I he essentially – you know, and you got to figure agents are doing this behind 
you know, the agents run this thing. They run the business of the whole operation. So you got to think to yourself, if you do the math, he was willing to give up $15 million. All right, so if he goes, if the Raiders decide that they're going to release him, he's giving up $15 million and you don't, you have to have a burden hand if you're right. giving fifteen million. If you're gonna get thirty guaranteed, you gave up thirty million guaranteed over. The and you have to have mo- you have to have something on the back burner that's going on. So I think before he he exited Oakland, I gotta think. And then New England signs him like a couple hours after the after he could be signed for ten. I don't know. I just I'm I'm in that theory right now where there's smoke and where you know where there's smoke there's gonna be fire, and he signs for nine million. I just think I, I just think there's something there's something that was. And they with said that. next year he could make twenty, so right? To be really close to what he's going to make in Oakland, being in in right. New England. I mean, now the the issue is: Are you, you know, was this all an act? Number one, and if it wasn't an act, and you sincerely are this kind of type of person, how long can you live in the New England? biosphere so to speak with what you got going on because you're not going to get the ball 11 times a game they're going to spread the ball around and you kind of have to adhere to what's going on but if there's anybody that can do it Nick it's Belichick because you know he's had you can go through 18 years of malcontents and for the most part he brings the malcontent in and they're able to Randy Moss get into the system and Randy Moss that year they went undefeated. He arguably may have been the best player in the NFL. So if anybody can do it, it's Belichick. It's, it's no one else. It's and there's, o- there's only two possibilities in my mind. Either Antonio Brown is a lunatic and he's insane, or he's orchestrated this. And he's, crazy like a fox. He's a genius, and he said, all right, I'm going to act like a nutbag, have some fun, and I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to go where I want to go. He basically became a free agent. He was able to two make himself early. a free agent. Yeah. And he got his money, he got his money earlier, and I guess – I don't know, maybe those NFL guys are watching NBA guys being like, hey, they can go out and pick their teams now and pick who they want. And maybe the NFL players are like, I want to go out and be able to to get mine and go where I want to go. And it's, uh, I don't, we'll see how it works out. Cause you know, the, the question with that too, Nick, and here's the thing that kind of interests me a little bit. You know, and we've coached teams and played on teams and so on and so forth. I find it hard to believe in in, in the games these days, I find that the guys have such good friendships that they kind of look beyond that stuff. That, that I think that's the thing that bothers me because if I'm a Raiders guy right now, I mean, this guy played us for a month in, in training camp. I mean, he played us. He got reps on days he was there. And I find it hard to believe that the, all these guys are so buddy-buddy that they don't call somebody out. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you know, some of these guys, like like a Kyrie Irving with Boston last year, and, I, and I'm a Celtics fan through and through, and got to the point where Boston guys have played, have stayed pretty mum on him. They haven't really said a lot of negative things, but they haven't really come out and said a lot of positive things. But it seems like Antonio Brown, it's like other players in the league kind of give him the free pass sort of thing, like, well, he's going to make his money, where I don't see, you know, back in the day, you know, if you kind of cross that teammate line and you're a bad teammate, you know, that was kind of frowned upon, and I just kind of see that evaporating now. It's kind of like, you know, are the Raiders guys, you know, how about the Steelers guys who, you know, the Steelers guy, Antonio Brown quit on them in the last game of the year last year. 
when they actually possibly could have, there was this couple scenarios that were actually kind of faint that they could have gotten in the playoffs, and he basically just bagged the last week of the year and didn't play. Now, you know, teammates give guys a pass on that just because, well, we're all in it, you know, we're all family now and we're all kind of looking to make our money. You know, it's just kind of a different, just kind of a different feel because, you know, if you're a Raiders guy, you know, if, if you're, you know, Carr, the quarterback, you know, does that bother you? Like, you know, you're, you designed a lot of stuff throughout the whole summer for him, you know, X and O wise, and then he just kind of, he forces his way out. It's just, it's kind of interesting how some of these guys, you know, in my mind, they do things that kind of make them a bad teammate, but then, like, get rewarded they for get it. rewarded for it, and, like, their colleagues kind of just, kind of, it's a wash. I'd like to see one guy just come out for the Celtics and say, you know what, didn't want to play with that guy. Right. That guy was a cancer in the locker room. He... Just he derailed everything we tried to do, but guys won't do that. Like it's all, all buddy buddy now. And yeah, and their agents are the same. You're right about that, Nick. That's another thing. Just you know, that would be a whole nother podcast. But you know, Drew Rosenhaus, who was Antonio Brown's agent. Yeah, they're you know he shares agents with certain guys, and that just you know certain guys want to play together. But I mean, the worst thing I ever watched was hate to go way back in time, but LeBron James game six uh, against the Celtics. Uh, the in 2010, the year before he went to Miami, he quit on his yeah. teammates. He quit on his teammates in Game Six of a playoff game. He bagged it, didn't even try. It was pretty obvious, and the guy got a pass. Like nobody ever called him out on that and said this guy quit. You know, this guy quit on his teammates. You never hear about that anymore. And Antonio Brown, like he quit on his Steeler teammates. He quit on his Raider teammates. You know, and now. You know, who knows? Like, and he still gets, like you said, he gets rewarded. Kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of a kick in the pants. Guy still got $10 million. Guy got $10 million. What happens? Well, these... Guaranteed $10 million. Signed his name, got $10 million. Your NFL coach, you're like, hey, I want to make my money. This guy's going to help me win. Help me keep my job. I want to sign another contract. I want five more million. So those guys will sell their souls. They'll sell those. They, all, they will. They will. Nick they Saban, will. like, Nick Saban gets up there and he, will. he spouts how he's all prolific and... Dabble, Swinney, they all talk about how sacred they are and all this stuff. They will sell their soul. Like, I, I watched the interview where Saban was like, well, what should we do with a kid who gets in trouble? Just kick him off. We should give him second chances. That's not fair. Those guys will do anything to make sure they win. Yeah. And I, and I, and half of what he says, I just, it goes one ear and out the other. Just look at our local Connor Hamilton and look what happened down at West Virginia. It's all about that coach winning. He could care less about that player. If he can bring somebody else in, you're all of a sudden expendable. And uh, so those guys, those college coaches, they whatever yeah, they say and yeah. all their sanctimony, I ignore that. They are in there to make the money. Yeah, Bel the thing about Belichick and, and – I'm the, you know, as a Dolphins fan, I'm the biggest New England hater around, but he'll bring those guys in and he just won't even say a word about it. He don't care. He nope. just, he won't say a word about it. He'll just say, he won't even comment about Next it. Next question. Next question. We're just going to talk about Cleveland. We're not talking about anybody else and he'll just do it. You know, he won't, you know, he won't preach it. He'll just say, you know, he'll just say, I'm doing it, you know, and, and that's it. Not going to have a conversation about it, but yeah, like those guys, they get on their soapboxes and you know, and spout off, and you're right. I mean, they would sell their soul to the devil to win, and they do. I they mean, do. they do. They, they absolutely do. Josh Gordon's still on the team. 
Exactly. <laughs> Josh Gordon's playing for Failed the Patriots. five drug tests. He's with the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the word was out on Aaron Hernandez before he murdered yeah. people. Like, he was... The word was out on him. He's a bad like, guy. They, they, he was a bad guy. He was gang-related, and Belichick, and they just... And then once he got arrested, though, well, they sent him out. But... You know they'll they'll do anything to win. They'll do anything to win. If you so. got talent, Zeke Elliott's going to make his fifty million. Doesn't matter what he does off the field. Because I heard, well, they're not going to sign him. Jerry Jones is going to use the off the field stuff against them. That's baloney. Right. If you got talent, if you don't have talent, they'll use it as a reason. But you got talent. As long as Antonio Brown's the best receiver in the league, right. someone's going to. Well, and, and Zeke Elliott, just you know, not going through their history, but he's done he's done a number of things that Jerry Jones had to bail him out of, out of situations, and then he has the gall to sit out a preseason <laughs> and try to get money, and then at the end of the day, he wins. Yeah. He wins. Like Jerry Jones, basically. And they think they can't win without him. And I'll tell you what, I, you know what? I hope, you know, I, you know I, I'm all for those guys getting paid. But, man, like, you know, Melvin Gordon, I hope he holds out the whole year. I hope he holds out the whole year and they, they, they play that backup. They play that Urkler backup guy, guy, that Urkler guy, and I hope he lights it up the whole year. And I hope Melvin Gordon just, he doesn't play. And then no. I hope the market sinks on him. Gordon's going to have to come back in, like, week six so he gets right. a year. Right. Because if not, then he, this year sitting out doesn't go towards his free agency. And right now, that's why, I, you know, say to, say uh, Zeke Elliott doesn't come back and the Cowboys go 4-0. Right. If the Chargers go 4-0. Right, exactly. Melvin, we don't need you. Goodbye. No, and I got you this guy sitting back. here. And I got this guy sitting here playing, and he's making 320000 And I'm surprised, you know, I'm surprised teams don't. I'm surprised teams don't do that more. You know, I actually read an interesting article, and I know we're going long. Just one last thing. So I was reading an interesting article once, and I think it was on uh, 538, Nate Silver's, like it's a probability website. And he actually, they wrote an article on there, and it basically said, why do you, play, how, why do you pay quarterbacks the money that they pay them? Like when you get to that point, just cut them and, Draft a new one. Draft a new one. Like draft one and try to. I mean, they're so hard to get their hands on. But if you had the guts, like if you had the guts to do that and just say, I am going to. I'm not paying this guy thirty, forty million dollars, and we're going to draft this guy and we're going to try to. You know, I mean, the Giants with Saquon Barkley, they should ride him and give him the ball fifty yeah. times a game, and then in four years. Get another one. I mean, there's not going to be another Saquon Barkley, but yeah, uh, running back is that position where. You're probably crazy paying the money that they do. But, you know, Barkley's going to get paid. Elliott got paid. Melvin Gordon wants to get paid. But running back's that position where you better be really good. You, you be better really be Barkley. Good. I don't think Gordon's going to get what he's hoping yeah. for. Yeah. I think he's going to have to come back begging sorry. Yeah. Because <laughs> they offered like $10 million, He turned it down. Yep. He should have taken that. All right. So that's will be this for the week. So next week we'll be reviewing Syracuse beating Clemson and hopefully getting get ready it, for the turf. Getting ready for the turf and re rehash all the sports this weekend so uh thanks for listening to us spread the word and get out if you're into local sports spread the word for us please about people hitting us up on the podcast it's just uh something we have fun doing and we're not getting rich i think our podcast has made under 20 dollars i don't know if we made 20 20 cents 20 cents maybe since we started so yeah we're not getting rich off this and we appreciate all support we have and have a great weekend go cubes